Welcome to the Coffee Journey Podcast, where you can sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy your day. Here, experts and passionate coffee drinkers share their takes on what it is to enjoy a coffee, whether it's driving in your car, walking your dog, or at the office. The Sissitano team brings you the experience you need. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Lorenzo, your host for the uh, Coffee Journey podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you. My good friend, Mario, uh, is in a very uh, very successful American uh, businessman and public speaker that has been living in China for quite a while and is, is a big-time coffee lover. So he's going to share with us today his experience, his, uh, his journey about coffee, and just uh, his very um, interesting and fascinating uh, life experience. So good morning, Mario. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Lorenzo. Great to be here with you today. It's uh, it was a great weekend. Nicer weather here in Hangzhou in the Zhejiang province area, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to having a nice chat with you today. And of course, uh, any chat about coffee is a good chat. Absolutely, because you have to have coffee to have a chat. No, if there's no chat, there's no coffee. You know, I mean, if there's no coffee, there's no chat. <laughs> you know. All right, let's get going. So, please tell us a bit about yourself. Like, we are where you're from, your background, your business, in a nutshell, and just tell us more about who you are as a person. Sure, sure. I appreciate that. You know, and uh, I, I'm your classic story of an Italian American. You know, my family is originally from Italy. I was born and raised in Yonkers, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very much like my my Italian ancestors. You know, they they left Italy. Which part of Italy and are you guys from? Originally, my family from uh, Vietra de Potenza in the Basilicata region. So this is south central, uh, about a hundred kilometers inland from. Naples, oh, and you know okay. this was your typical poor. This was your typical poor country in mm-hmm. in Italy, and it still is actually. You know, it's yeah. not. Uh, it's not like the the provincial commercial north. So mm-hmm. you know, I think about the fact that my Italian ancestors left Italy, and uh, you know, this of course was you know a hundred plus year hundred years ago, and went to America for a good new life. Uh, and frankly, seventeen years ago, uh, I, I did like them. I left America. You know, I'm I'm here in China seventeen years now. It's a really long time. It's what, a really long time. What took you to China initially? Well, I, sure. I mean, you know, again, I I was in the United States, and uh, I'd moved to Newport Beach, California, in 1995, 1996, and there I started meeting a lot of people from Asia. From different Asian countries, uh, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, uh, South Korea, Ch- uh, Japan, China, and then a gentleman from Western China in Chongqing. He invited me to come to China for some business. I thought, okay, I, I'm. Ha- I mean, I, I I'm a professional speaker and uh, communications expert by trade. Ever since I was 20 years old, I I'm up on stage uh, giving uh, speeches and doing uh, you know varieties of motivational speaking and training and talking about different areas of expertise. And so for me, uh, being called out of the country to do work uh, is a normal is a normal thing. In other words, I'm I'm not like most Americans. Most Americans, they don't even ever leave the country. You know, they 80, 70, 80 percent of Americans don't even have passports. Exactly. But I've always been I've always been the international minded American. And uh, so whether it was Puerto Rico or Canada or Europe, Germany uh, or China, didn't make a difference to me. I was ready to go and explore the world and, and work as well. So I got invited to China, and uh, that was in 1999. During that first year, 
Uh, that was to Chengdu in the West, which is amazing. Wow. And by the way, I arrived in Chengdu and uh, in 1999. We're going back 17 plus years. I'm sorry to say, back then, uh, no Starbucks, no coffee. <laughs> uh, and even Starbucks, right? Coffee's not great, you know, but yeah. at least it's coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, back then, no coffee shops, nothing Americanized. It was really Chinese and, and the focus was tea, you know, green tea, green tea, green tea. Yeah. And then chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum tea actually was very popular, which keeps you cool in the summertime. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Fascinating. And then from Chengdu, you, you moved around to other cities in China. What brought you to Hangzhou? Well, I went from Chengdu to Shanghai. I was based there for many, many years. Uh, I'd say the majority of the last uh, 15 years were, were in Shanghai and uh, always doing a lot of corporate work. I mean, my, my work is uh, as a performing artist. Uh, as a performing, I'm in two areas of, of communications and, enter and entertainment are the two areas that I'm in. So uh, my work uh, on the creative side as a performing artist, I'm a professional jazz pianist and stage MC. Wow. Um, I've, I've performed in, in all the grand theaters, most of the grand theaters all across China, including the Hangzhou Grand Theater here twice, playing, uh, doing a, a solo jazz piano concerts. And, uh, Last month, I shot uh, another movie for CCTV um, in Hongdian, which is one of their major TV movie studios. I played a doctor, and uh, I've been here a long time, so I can speak pretty good Chinese. So I, I was speaking Chinese in my movie role, which is very, very exciting. And so I do a lot of these creative movie and entertainment type, type work. And on the other side, it's more white collar. It's all very communications oriented. And I've done a lot of consulting and, and corporate training and coaching work for the uh, multinational companies that are here, you know, companies like GE, General Motors, uh, CBRE. Uh, and what then finally I'll tell you that what brought me to Hangzhou, I had done a contract with a fantastic uh, Chinese automotive company, Geely Automotive, who's doing great. They're the ones that bought Volvo uh, oh, really? uh, wow. back in 2012. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was, that's why I moved to uh, Hangzhou uh, last year. And now that we're here, it's exciting because we learned that Hangzhou is a, a very much a culture, music, and art-oriented city. We love living here. We really, really do. So all of my activities and all of the career and business interests that I have, me and my family, we're very, very happy to be here in Hangzhou. I can imagine. Um, what was the name of your of your movie? I'm quite curious. I, I might even go and check it out. And our audience would, would be interested in knowing more. Sure, sure. Well, that that just happened last month, and it's still in production. Okay. Uh, because it's still in production, they don't. And so it, it'll probably come out in about three or four months. The name of the movie, uh, the name of the, it's a TV series. It's going to be on the CCTV. Uh, the name of it is Dreshing, which in Chinese means awaken, to wake up. It's a great story about a guy who lost his memory, and then it's a story about how he step by step he keeps having uh, his memories come back slowly and starting to figure out what's happening in his life. In his life, and I play a doctor in the movie, nice. uh, and it's a great story, a really, really great story. You said the the title is dressing, like in dressing. Uh, in Chinese, we say ah. dressing, ah, dressing, which okay. means to awake. Yeah, to ah, awaken. To awake. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And you said it's it's expected to 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 run in about three to four months on TV. I think so. I mean, they're going to go into. Okay. They're still shooting. In fact. Uh, okay. My role was shot within a month, but they're shooting for another, I think, another 45 days or so. And then they're going to go into post-production after that. So I think within a few months it'll be uh, – I don't know the exact scheduling on it. But at the same time, let me also mention my book editor has got my second China book in his hands, and that's going to be coming out as well. So I'm really very excited about that. 
And again, ah. that leads to our coffee conversation because how many hours I've spent when I start my day and I have it in my mind to go through and be writing my book and what needs to be in my hand, that beautiful yeah. cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. I mean, quite a fascinating journey so far. Uh, tell us about your books. What are the titles? Sure. What are they about? Uh, I'm, I'm very, I mean, the more I, I, I only met you once, but the more I, I talk to you, the more I feel what an amazing, fascinating man you are. So tell me more, tell us more, please. You know, it's interesting. My friend said to me a few years back, I, I was in China for about 13, 14 years then, and they looked at me and they said, you know, because of the work that you do, you're, you're not like most expats where you're in one industry. A lot of expats, they come here, they have a specific job with a specific company in a specific industry, and then the, and that's great. And they're experts in that industry, and they know that, but they don't know much else. Mm -hmm. Myself, as a performing artist, I'm, I've been across you know TV industries, uh, and because I'm also in communications, you know, I, I, I teach other uh, executives. For example, I had a big project with CBRE. Uh, the, 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 they're the number one real estate company in the world. And they said, well, you know, we need to teach our executives how to do good interviews on TV. Well, again, uh, I have those kinds of abilities and experiences in, in communications, in the communications field. And so I work with CBRE in real estate. But I've done that kind of work for many different companies, uh, Siemens, GE, GM, uh, uh, Bosch, Rexroth. And guess what? They're all in different industries. So because they're all in different industries, over the years, I got myself exposed not to a vertical single industry like automotive, for example. I've seen how all the different industries across China operate. I've seen how different industries have enjoyed their uh, amazing experience of coming to China and also the difficulties of coming to China. So I've gotten to know, uh, you know, international business here in China um, across the whole society and across the different economic sectors. And finally, people looked at me and said, you know, you know a lot of things. So wow. you have got a lot of experiences to share. So don't you think you should write a book? Mm -hmm. And you know what? It wasn't in my mind, but then I realized they were right. And I do need to write a book. So my first book got published in North America. I was very happy. Uh, China, uh, Sun Media International bought the publishing rights to my book for North America. Mm -hmm. They published it there. And, uh, then I published the Asia Pacific print edition myself here in here in uh, for, for the China Asia market, and I went on a book tour. I traveled all over the country, talking about and sharing my my ideas about what's happening in China. And the main theme that I notice is that I'll skip all the economic analysis. The, the The Chinese middle class is this monstrous rising group of people that's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. There, are, there's probably 500 million of them out there right now, yeah. and they're super powerful. And what they have a lot more cash than anybody realizes. There's this enormous off the books cash economy in China, Lorenzo, yeah. and uh, amongst the middle class. And, and this is something people in the West do not understand. And so that's the main theme of my first book on China. Yeah. Wow. And my second book on China is following up on that theme. You know, it's just more more of talking about in greater depth and detail, kind of an update on the first book. Fabulous, fabulous. Hey, I have, uh, not only you did the right thing in, uh, in writing those books, I'm sure you have a, a lot of more, more books inside of you, but I think you should really consider also maybe starting your own podcast because you have an amazing life experience, amazing wealth of knowledge that you could share with the rest of the world about China, about life, about anything. Seriously, um, that would be, uh, I would be very happy to have, to, to, to see you study on podcasts. I would be one of the first, I mean, the first listener because you have an amazing- you're, you're, You know, 
you know, it is, you know, Lorenzo, you're making a great point because uh, when I do my keynote, when I get invited to dinners and clubs and present and, and conferences to, to give my keynote speech on 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 my 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 thoughts about China, I'm 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 not an economist. I'm not one of these economic financial analyst mm. banker guys. I'm, it's very narrative, very story oriented. Yeah. And so those stories that makes a lot of sense. And I you know chapter by chapter, mm-hmm. uh, I could share a lot on a podcast. And so exactly. that's definitely something talk about while we enjoy our coffee together <laughs> absolutely let's get back to coffee we can talk about the podcast uh, later on around the coffee in person in the next few days if you want <laughs> so tell us about uh, the um, the american coffee uh, i mean american coffee culture i know our coffee is pretty big in america can you tell us the uh, in your in your experience where did it come from when did it start and um, when did the first coffee in america ma- make it to america when first did coffee make it to america yeah, to the best that I know, it's been there for ever since, you know, uh, I mean, I was born, you know, I was born in 60 and uh, coffee was always there. Now, what I would say this, 60s, I was a kid, 70s, I was a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hit 80, I'm 20 years old. And up through that time, what was coffee? I don't remember seeing anything except, you know, coffee meant one thing and one thing only in the United States of America mm-hmm. during the time period I'm talking about. And that is Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was it. That was it. It was, you know, honestly, that's my that's the only uh, my only recollection of what coffee meant back in America uh, back in those days, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s, just, you know, Dunkin Donuts and mm. you would stop for your coffee in the morning and get a donut and a cup of coffee at Dunkin Donuts. And that was fantastic. Mm. And then the only other thing I remember is Maxwell House. Yeah, you know, the true. blue yeah. the blue cans of pre-ground coffee that you make in a drip coffee maker. Yeah. And then I don't remember the exact dates, but it started in the Northwest. It was originally Seattle's best. That was the brand. Mm. Somehow, though, Starbucks hijacked it all. Yeah. <laughs> became very successful in the North and their brand name hijacked it all. But it was the idea of, you know, coffee being a more specific thing, mm-hmm. sitting down and enjoying a coffee or an espresso. And I remember even to this day in the North of the United States, everyone knows that Seattle's best brews a strong, mm-hmm. a stronger, richer cup of coffee. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to. I have no desire to criticize Starbucks, but I don't think people go around saying that Starbucks has the greatest coffee in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, they they've become commercialized, and you know that's reality. Okay, fine. I I I don't think there's any. I don't want to bash their coffee. Mm-hmm. I personally think, and, and I'll tell you this: the rare times that I do go to Starbucks, I always order out of their coffee of the day brew. Before I order their espresso, I I think it's better, you know. So if I go to Starbucks, that's where I go. Yeah. But Seattle's best uh, Seattle's best brews a a, a richer uh, you know mm-hmm. brew of the day. And this is what I remember. This all started happening. The coffee culture of of uh, Starbucks, of course, you have to give them credit. They mm-hmm. started it and made it happen. But there's a lot of these other. Um, and it all seemed to come out of the northwest of uh, the United States, uh, Seattle, uh, yeah. Seattle and Portland area. And wow, it's it's been an incredible thing that 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 happened in in terms of how it affected the social culture social culture of America. But enough about that, yeah. because I want to tell you, yes. I got my Italian American family, Lorenzo. Yeah. But 
my Italian American family betrayed the mocha pot roots. You know, I'm, I I got in front of me on my desk my mocha pot, which makes my espresso. <laughs> yeah. Now this is what I remember my grandmother yeah. used to do mm -hmm. when I was a kid. But my mom and my dad, God bless them, you know, they abandoned the mocha pot and and oh. I, you know. Uh, in my house for 20 years, my mother and my father, every morning, they're doing the Mr. Coffee drip coffee. Yeah. And I always told them every single day it was the worst damn coffee in the world. You yeah. know, <laughs> uh, drip coffee Maxwell house. I'm very sorry, but this is what my mother and my father did. I know. But I always loved, I always loved the espresso. I love that fresh Absolutely. coffee. The smell. Espresso, steam, ground, and the smell and the aroma, all of I it, know. man. I know. Especially when you wake up in the morning, you first thing you you you, uh, you, you see. I mean, you uh, first 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 thing that you encounter as soon as you awaken is is that intoxicating smell of the coffee aroma. It's like almost like uh, undescribable. Especially, uh, it's, I, part of, it, it's part of the morning wake up, isn't it? Yeah, it's part of the morning wake up. It is the morning call. Actually, it is a morning call because you you deep in your sleep, and as as soon as you you smell that that intoxicating smell, that wakes you up. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, would you say that um, Italians uh, would have played a big role in, in bringing coffee and the coffee tradition to America when when the, the Italians first started coming to to America about 100, 150 years ago? No, I'm I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I think the Italian immigrants that you were talking about, you mm -hmm. know, they came to New York. There was yeah. the the Italian immigrants, the Italians, the Germans, the Jewish, the the mm -hmm. The, the Irish, Irish. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that mm. the Italians pretty much kept their little world of mocha pot coffee every morning to themselves. That was mm. just their own little world, their own little lives. They didn't go out and try to impress everybody else to try and drink coffee. They they, they didn't try to. They certainly didn't try to make, force the Irish people to, to do it. Mm. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they were, you know, they're drinking. They're drinking their uh, you know their English tea. Yeah, and nobody was going to change their habits. So I think it stayed within the. I think it mostly stayed back then within the Italian community. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't again until Seattle's best and Starbucks started making a big thing about it. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. So that's when it became what you asked me. You know, you you mentioned this earlier in your questions about the difference between American coffee culture and Italian coffee culture. So Italian coffee culture didn't take off in America. American coffee culture, which was rooted in Starbucks and Seattle's best, um, that took off. And and you, we can call that American coffee culture. Now let's talk about how that's different than Italian coffee culture. Now, I'm not originally from Italy, but I've been to Italy. Mm -hmm. You know as well as I do, when you walk into a cafe in Italy, yeah. you walk in, you you walk into the cafe in Italy, it's more of a local experience. You walk up to the bar, mm -hmm. you stand there, yeah. and you order your espresso, and you get it, and you might eat a pastry with your espresso, and this is in the morning, yeah. and you drink your espresso, and you talk to the barista, who's usually the owner of the shop. Absolutely. And then you leave. You Absolutely. never even sit down. Yeah. You go in, you stand at the espresso bar, and you then you, you have your espresso, and then off you go for the day. Yeah. Now, that is coffee culture in Italy. Oh. And that's nothing like what the coffee culture is in, of course, America, where you go to Starbucks. If it's takeaway, you know, it's in a paper cup or yeah. whatever or plastic. Uh, and 
if it's sit down, you sit down. I mean, this kind of thing didn't exist in, uh, it's, it's completely different from what I just described in Italy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the, the, the scene that you, that, you, that you described with you going, uh, entering the coffee, coffee shop in Italy, and then talking with the uh, barista and all that, chit-chatting, and that reminded me of my experience uh, at the same thing in France, because I grew up in France, and it's the same thing, exactly the same thing in France. In the morning, people go there, they uh, go to their usual spot, they, they order the coffee the way they want it, they chit-chat with a guy, and off they go without even sitting down. So that's, that's exactly. amazing, yeah. Um, next thing I would like to, to hear from you is um, tell us about your very first espresso. So I want you to, uh, to tell us in as much detail as possible, like tell us the moment, the atmosphere, the location, the people you were with you, the time of the day, the weather, your mood, prior, during, and after drinking your espresso. Try to be as, as detailed as you can. And I'm sure that for you is not going to be too difficult because that's what you do for a living. <laughs> Lorenzo, I... Lorenzo, I've got a, I've got a great, I've got a great espresso story. Awesome. I, re, I really do, and, and I didn't think of it until you, you asked me this. You said to me you were going to ask me this question yesterday, yeah. and I didn't think about it at all until. But as soon as you asked me, I knew what my answer was, because when I was younger, again, my mom and my dad, they, they, you know, grew up on the, you know, I was in the house and they had the drip coffee every morning, so you know. For me, growing up as an American, it was there was no espresso in the house, mm-hmm. so I was not an espresso drinker. So when did I discover espresso? I was definitely I was an adult. I was in my mid thirties, and I'm going to tell you exactly where I was. Where I think I had my very first what you and I call an espresso. Okay. I was in. Listen, listen to this. I will. I'm excited. I was in. I was with uh, colleagues. We were we were in a travel marketing business, travel industry business out of New, out of Newport Beach. I mentioned I was living there, mm-hmm. and we had a bunch of colleagues uh, with our branch offices and business in South Florida, okay, and Puerto Rico. Wow. Now, so there I was in South Florida, and amongst the people that we were working with, there were many many people who were from Puerto Rico. So there was a group of the Puerto Ricans there in South Florida that were part of our company. Mm-hmm. And also there was some, there was some, uh, uh, folks, other folks from Latin America, like there was an, even some Cubans. Okay. Okay. So I remember very clearly our, our, our colleagues from Puerto Rico, they said, you know, we would, they live down there in, uh, South Florida. There's obviously a very strong Latino culture down there. Yep. And they took they took us to a Cuban restaurant mm-hmm. down there in South Florida, Lorenzo. Yeah. And at the end of the meal, they said, and now we're going to have Cuban coffee. Wow. And I, and, and, and I was warned in I was told in advance that this, this was, this was, this was mud. They, they said, this is mud. This is thick, mm-hmm. thick, as a thick Cuban espresso. And sure enough, this this whole you know this whole table, right? And everybody after the meal in the afternoon, you're going to have your espresso. Mm-hmm. So here we were, and this was my I, I, I honestly I think this is my first time that I can recall someone introducing me to this real espresso, and it was this incredibly strong Cuban espresso. I mean, it required you know three cubes of brown sugar just just to be able to you know just to be able to deal with how strong it was. Mm-hmm. And man, 
that was really something because, you know, I tasted it without the sugar first and I thought, wow, it was so strong and so bitter. And, and, and the aroma all around the room and the table from all of these Cuban espressos, it was really something. And I'm not going to say I liked it, right? I'm not mm. going to actually say I liked it. Uh, I learned to say, appreciate how incredibly good it was. Of course, you have to put quite a bit of sugar in it. And then it becomes quite magical because you get that coffee syrup kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, so that was it. That, uh, just, just. Well, I, I, I remember it to this day, South Florida with my Puerto Rican and Cuban friends wow. in the Cuban restaurant where I had this this incredible super strength Cuban espresso. Mm-hmm. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's- and how would you compare the Cuban espresso versus, say, the Italian espresso? Uh, well, they told me uh, they were very clear about it. They mm-hmm. said to me, this is the strongest darn coffee you're ever going to drink, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, the, the Italian espressos in general, no, they're, they're, it, they're not going to knock your socks off, right? You're in Italy and you go in for a classic espresso in any uh, uh, coffee shop in Italy. Um, and I think you're going to find a more, uh, a more reasonably refined uh, and smooth uh, uh, espresso rather than this, this super strong this super strong Cuban espresso that they, they warned me about, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the case. And I think if you look at the Italian grinds that are available that we can purchase, and I've bought a few even here in Italy, okay. um, uh, they're, they're, they're quite nice, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're really nice. Uh, the Italian grinds of espresso that I've bought here, uh, um, and I don't mean just Lavazza, it's a well-known yeah. one and it's very good, mm-hmm. but, but there's a few others, but there's a few others as well that I've purchased. And, uh, they're they're nice on the palate, you know. They're nice on Absolutely. the palate. So you're you're an Italian American. You've you've had coffee from both sides, American and, and Italian. How um, how do Americans uh, like to drink their coffee versus Italians? Well, unfortunately, you know, the answer to that question is, is going to go back to the. Unfortunately, it's it's kind of a commercial answer, and yeah. it's sort of how the Chinese. It's it's how the Chinese have become drinking their coffee. So I'm going to say something that's going to surprise you. Yeah. The way that Americans drink coffee today is now the same as the way Chinese drink coffee today. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that 10 years ago, Chinese didn't drink coffee. Exactly, yeah. yeah it's, what uh, is that? Right, everybody now, they don't drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody yeah. now, that I, not everybody, but I'd say, what is it, 70% of the population? That when they drink, they don't drink coffee anymore. Yeah. They don't even drink a cup of coffee, let alone an espresso. They drink a coffee drink. I know. It doesn't make sense. They have one of these drinks. And I, I have no uh, interest in these drinks. They, they drink these, you know, cafe, fraca, mote, latte, frappe, raka, laka thing. I don't know what it is. And yeah. I don't drink that stuff. And that, that's what American coffee culture seems to be for the majority of people. Um, and it's the same here in China. I mean, Starbucks cost a, uh, doing very, very well here. But again, the vast majority of Chinese who go in, they go and buy themselves uh, the American coffee version of Nai Cha. Mm-hmm. The Chinese have little coffee shops, these little cocoa cafes where they buy Nai Cha, yeah. which is the non-dairy milk creamer with Taiwanese tea mm-hmm. and and little and the little uh, the little Jungju the little Jungju uh, pearl pearl tapioca pearl balls and that's that's their like sweet kind of tea milky drink mm-hmm. here in China and then that 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 became Starbucks's you know cafe frappe mocha drink 
Mm-hmm. And that's how most everybody uh, seems to be drinking coffee these days, but not me. I just want a straight espresso with a glass of water on the side. Exactly. And please, no sugar. <laughs> that's what I always tell them. I don't want any sugar. I want it straight, too. Well, I, I, put, I, I put the sugar, but I put it myself, and I don't put too much, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, getting back to Italy, uh, my good friend from Toronto, uh, Antonio, was also from, uh, from Naples. He was the, our guest for the first podcast, told us that in Italy, having an espresso is a very intimate moment as you're sharing a special moment with a friend, family, or relative. Would you say the same in America? Um, you're right. I agree with what Antonio said. Um, in Italy, you stop, you share an espresso. Uh, this idea that it's a more intimate kind of thing. You're, you're, you're going to stand there at the bar. You're going to talk mm-hmm. to the barista. Um And I agree with that. Whereas in America, it's, I wouldn't call it as intimate as much as I would call it social, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have a group of people sitting around, for example, uh, in a Starbucks and they're all having a nice social chat about many, many things, including business. So it's definitely, uh, we see much more, I wouldn't call it intimate, but very, very social and gregarious and interactive type conversations taking place that revolve around coffee in America for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, tell us, um, as an American uh, and a coffee lover, do you have any tips for uh, all the espresso lovers out there and, uh, on how to best enjoy their espressos and their coffee? You know, I, I do, in fact. I've learned since, since I became an espresso aficionado, I, I have met some coffee experts. Now, they're the experts. Mm. I'm not. But here's some of the things that I learned from them. Number one... Uh, And I'll talk about three uh, three folks, Luis from uh, uh, Luis from Ecuador, and then Mr. Lee from here in China, and then David with uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. His coffee company back in Shanghai. Okay. And uh, so from these three folks, what I learned is the quality of the beans is very important. Absolutely, yeah. And mm-hmm. the but but something that I never thought about back in America, the freshness mm-hmm. of the beans. Absolutely, yeah. The beans need to be kept fresh, and you, you can't just leave beans sitting around. They need to be kept fresh because the beans contain a lot more of what we call the aromatic oils, mm-hmm. right? Very and those oils, don't, those oils go rancid or they dry out, so mm-hmm. the beans get dried out. Uh, this is the problem. Once you've taken a bean uh, and you've crushed it, then obviously it's going to dry out much faster. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, this is why uh, number one for the best espresso, obviously, is the quality of the beans. Now, that varies. I learned this from the Chinese guy. Mm-hmm. I went to a fella who has his little co- coffee house. Uh, this was like a private little secret place, and I went up there. He had beans from all over the world, and he drew, he drew three different espressos. With three different beans, and I was amazed at how different they were. I, it was like I was having a wine tasting. It was incredible. Nice. So there, there's that aspect to the quality of the beans. And yeah. then, again, the beans themselves, they need to be stored properly so they stay fresh, and they get cut uh, you know, cut and ground immediately uh, before, uh, before, you, before you make your espresso. So this is obviously going to be the best espresso you can have. Now – It's not always convenient, you know, um, so if you want your espresso, the next is going to be where you've got your, like your, your Lavazza bags here in China, 
they're reasonably available. The Italian grind, they do a good job. Lavazza yeah. offers several different uh, grinds, mm-hmm. you know, weaker and stronger, etc. And then they're in that they're in that foil bag. So you know, and they're already ground. Yes. Okay, so they're already ground, so you know that's a little bit of a compromise. But you can keep them very tight. You know, close that bag real tight, and and put a clip on it. So to keep to keep that to keep those espresso grounds fresh in that foil bag, and 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 of course keep them cool. You know, don't let them sit in the sun. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. All right, that's awesome. And tell us where our listeners can find you or get in touch with you. Do you have a website, Facebook account that they can uh, contact you? Because I'm sure that we, quite a few people would be interested in getting in touch with you. And so tell us more about where can people find you online. Sure. Sure, sure. I appreciate that. And, you know, the the best information about me is actually on my LinkedIn profile. Okay. And uh, my, na- my name is spelled out. And I'm on Facebook on the same name. But most of my work is uh, found in, in, in LinkedIn, which I think is really great. It's more business-oriented. And my, my name is spelled Mario, M-A-R-I-O-C-A-V-O-L-O, Mario Cavolo. And uh, just type in that name in and, and people can start finding out more about me. And I also have a YouTube channel with a lot of, uh, a lot of videos of music that we've played. Uh, cool. We will uh, link to those on, on the show notes. So I will get those direct links from you off the line so people can reach you out. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming uh, to, to our show. It was, it's been a pleasure and an honor to have you. You're an amazing uh, gentleman. The good luck of meeting you in person and in person even more. I mean, you're amazing as a person. I would like to obviously get to know you more because you have such an amazing wealth of knowledge. As I told you during this call, you should definitely consider starting your own podcast because it would be an amazing podcast to follow. Even if someone is not interested in anything, for example, in entertainment, just the way you talk, the way you present the information in a very, very uh, interesting, fascinating way, in a very Italian way. That's what I... <laughs> so you should definitely start your, your podcast that would be amazing well thank you very much my friend uh, for um, spending the time with, with me on, on this podcast and I wish you, too, you, and you I wish you an amazing uh, rest of the day my friend take care bye Lorenzo bye. thank you thank you so much thank you sir have a good day bye bye my pleasure take care bye bye